and welcome in for the newest edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I guess I can say spring training is in full swing. Teams are, you know, they're in camp. We're getting the best shape of their life reports. Everybody's coming back, dropping weight, ready for the 2023 season. So we are in peak spring training time. And of course, the Twitter sphere is buzzing because all we can go off is some of these best shape of their lives right now until games start. So I'm Colby Conway at Colby R. Conway on Twitter. And with me, as always, the salesman on Twitter, Matt Sells. So, Matt, you're, even your team is not uh, able to escape some of the best shape of their life reports. You know, we saw C.J. Abrams put on a couple pounds, which I'm excited for personally for him for the 2023 season. But before we dive into things, we got to hit the pleasantries. How the hell are you? Uh, I am not in the best shape of my life right now. Uh, I'm a little under the weather, so bear with me, folks, if you hear some uh, inadvertent coughing going on. I'm currently inhaling cough drops at a prodigious rate. Um, but other than that, I'm good. Look, we've got baseball. We've got spring training happening. We've got actual live action on a baseball field happening. And we're in the NASCAR season, so, uh, you know, Tough to get any better than that in terms of my two favorite sports. Um, so, yeah, you know, I saw some reports about Victor Robles toning himself up a little bit, uh, too. We'll see if that helps him hit a baseball, though, because that's, that, that's been his problem so far. But um, I think we might start with some guys who are not in the best shape of their lives right now, though. Yeah, we're going to start there. We're going to go to New York because, of course, we got to talk about this. But the Frankie Montas thing is just going to keep looking worse and worse like this. What happened, really, it's it's not necessarily the Montas deal itself. It's more so what happened at the deadline, and it's just this is like the, the cherry deal. Yes, that one hurts. still hurts. But now yes. Montas coming into 2023, he's down. I think I saw it's 12 weeks, and they're hoping for an August return. And well, you can start a throwing turn. program in 12 weeks. So, again, but if we're looking at August, we're talking about... scratch. Correct. So we're talking, yeah. what, a month and a half? I mean, he's got he's to gotta do the whole... That's starting a throwing program. So, as you know, as a former catcher, that starts with, you know, throwing from flat ground for, you know, whatever it is, 30 mm -hmm. feet and then 60 feet and then 90 feet. And then they get you on the mound doing just fastballs at light velocity right so like and then he's got to go to a game and then he's going to have to pitch a few rehab starts at least before he can so yeah it's not looking good if we're going 12 weeks from the middle of february right that's basically three months from the middle of february we're talking he can't start a throwing program until what may about that mid-may if everything goes uh according to plan and then he's got, yeah, I mean, at the very best, a month and a half puts him back basically at the All-Star break. And I don't think it's just a month and a half. I think we're talking a couple of months. So, yeah, August. And when, and when you look at it with Montas, too, it's not like this is a, hey, the shoulder issue popped up and now we got this delay. This sh shoulder, and if even if you want to broaden it to just arm issues in general, have been a pretty reoccurring theme for this guy. So when you look at New York, it's tough because they're in New York, so are they going to feel like they have to rush him back to get him on the mound? Maybe the media kind of plays into that and kind of pushes the narrative. They got to get him back out there. But at the same point, they can't. Because if we're already looking at August, what's two more weeks? 
to make sure he's fully healthy to come back. But again, we don't know what the state of the Yankees is going to be come August. Like they might be in a spot where it's like, hey, even if Montas can only throw 45 pitches, he's better than whatever we're going to trot out there right now. Yeah. I mean, look, starting pitching has been a question mark for the Yankees for five years now. Like, I'm not even exaggerating. It just feels like it's been a problem for them for at least five years. And now you're looking at their projected starting rotation, and it's Garrett Cole and short Carlos Rodon certainly helps. And Luis Severino says he's back, and he's, what, a little thinner than he was uh, last year, and he feels like he's great. Okay, cool. But, like, there's question marks about Nestor Cortez. Domingo Herman wasn't exactly the healthiest dude last year, right? So that's a bunch of question marks. Like, and so look, do I expect there to really only be perhaps one challenge in the AL East? Yeah, probably Toronto is is the best challenger, but you can't really sleep on the Rays because they always show up with something. So. Who knows? But it's another year where the Yankees are probably going to have to do something for the rotation by the trade deadline. And if they had Jordan Montgomery, then Nestor Cortez is the fifth starter. Or you can split the fifth starter role between Cortez and Herman. It just, like, I get they wanted the defense for Harrison Bader and the home, you know, the hometown kid or near hometown kid is a good story. But I would, at this point, I would much rather have Jordan Montgomery and deal with, you know, Aaron Hicks in center field and stick Oswaldo Cabrera wherever the heck you want to and, you know, just deal with it. And that's that's the interesting thing, too, because when you look at New York, like if in a vacuum you put Montas, you put Montgomery, again, in a vacuum, health is out the window elite or high-end skills are going to probably favor montas when they're both on the top of their game montas might be a bit more you know flashy and fun to watch on the mound but there is safety and security and right now what montgomery would provide the stability the consistency the reliability that might be the biggest one i probably should have let off with that one not having that can't just simply can't be understated. Because if you look at the past of these other guys, I mean, even Rodon prior to the past year right. or two, he had some arm issues and some injury his or history that popped up. So I'm going to give Rodon a pass because he's been better the past two years. But really, can you definitively state after Cole and Rodon that you are that you would be willing to put money that the other guys, maybe outside of Nestor, can get through a season healthy here in 2023? Like, there's legitimate questions about Herman and Severino. I completely agree. And Nestor, keep in mind that there's still talk about that they're going to limit his innings a little bit. So, and also keep in mind that their bullpen took a took a hit, right? Luis Gill's still out with Tommy John. Scott Efros is going to miss basically the whole season with Tommy John. Um, so the bullpen that has been a staple of theirs for the last four or five years is also thin. So. It's just this Montas deal. Just look, when they made the Montas deal and you added Montas and they still had Montgomery, I was fine with that because that's depth. And then they traded Montgomery. I, 
you're supposed to trade from a position of strength, not one of weakness or that you just made a trade to shore up. Yep. Or thought you shored up. Like absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, we're the the, the rotation in New York will always be micromanaged. It's always going to be highly criticized because like you said, it's been an issue for the past half decade, essentially. So it's going to continue to be highly scrutinized. And coming out of New York, we also got Anthony Volpe is going to work in at second and third here in spring training. You know, Glaber's already at second. So, you know, I don't see how much he'll get involved there at second base. But to me, could this be writing on the wall for Josh Donaldson if he doesn't come out and have a good spring? They're just going to say, hey, after your really your worst year since maybe 2012. It's, I mean, it's the lowest OPS he's ever posted in a year for Josh yeah. Donaldson in his career. So could this be like a little light under the, you know, like lighting a fire under the, you know, what for Donaldson? It's like, hey, we got a dude here. And if you don't perform, you know, you're not guaranteed anything here in New York. Is there any concern with Donaldson's role, do you think, at least to begin the year with the news about Volpe kind of moving around the infield? I mean, so my first thought is that it's just a way to get him more versatility right because he came up as a shortstop he's a damn good shortstop but the yankees have like their top four prospects or, or four of their top five prospects are basically all shortstops between volpe and Oswald peraza was uh, you know is a shortstop and oswaldo cabrera was a shortstop and they're moving him around and then they've still got you know another guy down in the system that's still coming up um that probably is going to get become a trade you know trey sweeney i believe um is going to be a trade piece um so i think it's a way to get him some more spots but yeah i think the third base was a dig at donaldson because they talked earlier in the offseason about hey we would take a deal for donaldson and aaron hicks and everybody made fun of him because it's like well you're gonna have to take somebody's literal dumpster that's on fire and floating down a river for aaron hicks and josh donaldson because neither one of those guys is worth basically anything on a baseball field at this point um so maybe i look i would be perfectly fine with that i would be perfectly fine with that because josh donaldson is terrible is a terrible defensive third baseman at this point. Um, and in the batter's box, it's not like he's doing anything for you. I mean, somebody made an entire two-minute and 20-second clip that bit on Twitter of him literally just swinging and missing or watching pitches go right down the middle of the plate. And you're supposed to be a power hitter and you can't hit balls like easy fastballs down the middle of the plate. That That's not great. And I guess maybe the other way to look at it, too, is not necessarily asking this to you, but do you believe in a bounce back for Donaldson? If you think yes, then you're probably not to worry, per se, about this Volpe news. But if you're seeing that Donaldson's not getting any younger, right? I mean, he's 36, 130 plus games each of the past two years. So 37. Yeah, so it'll be 37 this year. Like, if you don't think that a bounce back is coming, you are going to want to believe in Volpe and that this third base experiment is more so of like a, we want you to be prepared because if Donaldson comes out in April with a 200 batting average and a 27% strikeout rate, you know, we might, we might be talking about some stuff here. I would be concerned if I was Josh Donaldson or if I had betting money on a 
on a bounce back, which I don't. I think he's done. But I think Volpe could very easily take over that that third base role. And it might not even take much, right? Like if Donaldson just no. does what he did last year, New York cannot afford to keep him at third base. I mean, because Volpe, they they would much. I think at this point they would much rather give Volpe a shot than uh, IKF or uh, Lemayhew at starting. Right. The only one I would be intrigued by to see if he could stop Volpe would be Cabrera. But I really think that they that they're higher on bringing up their top prospect and you know letting the next core of guys. Start to because we have an interesting mix here on the Yankees roster, right? We've got Oswald Peraza, who's a young guy. We've got Volpe is likely to break camp with him. Glaber Torres, who's been around for years, is still only twenty six, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Harrison Bader, hometown kid, basically. Even though I would still rather have Jordan Montgomery, whatever. Bader's on the roster; he's twenty eight. And then we've got, you know, Oswald Cabrera on the bench. He's 24. So we've got some younger guys coming up. They're starting to bring up their next core. So they're not tied to Donaldson aside from the obscene amount of money they have to pay him. I don't think it's going to take very much for him to get replaced by either Cabrera or Volpe. Yep, and a slow spring or at, and or a slow start to the season could wreak havoc on Donaldson's fantasy value. Or hell, yeah, he could sleep wrong in camp and yank it back and be out of Well, camp. that too. That is also a possibility. That but, happens to people of that age. I would know. I had that happen two weeks ago. But you're still here doing the podcast. You showed up. Yeah, because I just got to sit. People don't need to know that. Baseball. People could be thinking you're standing right now doing walking on one of those walking treadmills while doing this. They don't know. I mean, I would be breathing a whole lot heavier. <laughs> well, for let the record show that you aren't on a walking treadmill, but they don't need to know that. They let people think what they want and envision it. But in Chicago, this is more just a fun little narrative to talk about. Eloy Jimenez down about 20 plus pounds, he said, because he wants to stay in the outfield. Um my thought is from a fantasy baseball perspective, I would like him to get out of the outfield because I would like a full season of Eloy. I am sick of no. drafting fifth or sixth round price on Eloy banking. Actually, I can't even bank on it, hoping for 30 plus homers and 100 plus RBIs just to be disappointed to only get about 11 home runs across 60 some odd games. So are you in the same camp as me? I feel like most people have to be in that camp. Yeah, I mean, I would much prefer him be the DH in Chicago. Like, I understand that he wants to feel more of a part of the everyday action and the on-field action and stay in the outfield, but you signed Benintendi to play left field, who's a pretty good defensive left fielder, right? Aside from the lack of pop and struggle that he had in New York, whatever, a lot of people struggle in New York. He's a very good defensive left fielder, so that's locked up. You signed Benintendi to a five-year deal. Luis Robert is going to stay in the outfield. He's As long as he's healthy, he's a very good center fielder. And right field, I mean, maybe you put Eloy there, but, like, you got Lurie Garcia who could play there. You got Gavin Sheets who could play there. You got Victor Reyes who could play somewhere in the outfield. So I think Eloy Jimenez is the odd man out. I think he's going to be the DH. And it's 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 really weird for us to say, like, I'm almost hoping that he's the odd man out because it's best for his fantasy value. 
It's right. so there's weird a lot less that. chance of him getting injured being DH than him playing in the outfield and getting caught on the outfield wall or yanking a hammy or hurting a knee when he dives for a ball or throwing out a shoulder while trying to get an outfield assist. Like it's know. just we need we really need the volume from Jimenez is what it comes down to. Like 2020 played in 55 games is actually pretty darn good. And we got 14 homers, 296 average. But other than that, he hasn't played more than 85 games since 2019, although his 2020 pace would have been above that. But for his career, 162 game average, we're talking a 36 bombs, a 831 OPS and 108 RBIs. Like just give us one healthy season of Eloy. Now, what? let me tell you this though. Once we do get that healthy season of Eloy and he dominates that next year, it's almost a 100% guarantee I will not be drafting him in fantasy. Oh, yeah, because the price is going to be insane. Because <laughs> you're, you're going to be paying for not only top ceiling production, but also banking on another season of health, which at this point, I don't think we can do. Nope. So It's hard to – it's like banking on a full season out of Byron Buxton. Not going to happen. It's just – it's – it's a fun story to talk about. It's a fun hope to have. And like, I'm still okay drafting Eloy. It's just, it's. Now, that being said, losing the 20 pounds, if he does stay in the outfield, should help with some, with some, you know, like muscular injuries that he's cropped up because it's less weight to carry on the frame, which means when he's running, it's less force is generated, which means things are less likely to go wrong in your body if you weigh less, right? That's why it's. In theory. In theory. However, some guys are also not meant to play outfield 162 games in an MLB season, and he might be one of them. Now, could we possibly see him shift in and out from outfield to DH? Probably. But for fantasy value, you want him playing as much DH as possible. Yep, absolutely. Another one we'll talk about, uh, Jason Hayward. So some apparently they came out saying that he's a favorite for a roster spot. He has reworked his swing. There was a clip I saw on Twitter of him uh, striking a ball pretty good, and it seemed like it went pretty far to right field. A swing, albeit yeah, reworked. Albeit, yeah, albeit reworked. I don't love the look of it personally, but again, to each their own. Like, you know, Craig Council had a weird batting stance, and he seemed to do just fine. And there's plenty of weird uh, batting stances around the league, but. Jason Hayward seems – I know he's, like, pretty cheap in drafts, so it's not really, like, a trap. I just don't know if I can ride the the Hayward train in 2023. Because in playing time, too, there's going to be questions about that, like how often can he play. Yeah, so here's my question. What is it about Jason Hayward's swing that the Dodgers could fix that they couldn't fix about Cody Bellinger's? Yeah, I mean they're, – They're both lefties. They swapped spots this year because Belly signed with the Cubs, right? Mm-hmm. So they're both left-handed hitters. They're both – ostensibly power hitting or reasonably power hitting uh, outfielders who play very good defensive outfield and swing left-handed yet the Dodgers haven't been able to fix Bellinger swing in three years. Now they're going to take a shot on fixing Jason Hayward's swing who the Cubs couldn't fix for seven years. It's, <clears throat> it seems like a reclamation project that we're going to buy into the story in the spring and then next thing you know we're going to come april and see be like oh so different swing same dude yeah i mean the swing i saw it it's different he makes contact but a how fast tony gonsolin throwing the first week back at camp um did he groove him a fastball so that jason hayward could get some discussion points like 
I just I just don't know. And also, if you're a major leaguer who's going to spring training, you should be able to hit a fastball. Yeah. And I mean, it's a minor league. I believe he got a minor league contract with the Dodgers, so nothing's guaranteed. But right. it seems like he has a leg up in the competition for the final outfield roster spot. Again, not starting spot, roster spot. He is depth. I right. understand I mean, he's imagine, super cheap, like, but not worth it. Remember how much A.J. Pollock played last year? Not not all that much. Like Pollock's been on was on that team for like three years and played an equivalent of a full season. Right. Yeah. Like didn't play that much. They signed they have David Peralta. This you know, they have Trace Thompson. I mean, it's not a sexy looking outfield by any means because there's Mookie Betts, but Trace Thompson's been pretty good defensively. Mm-hmm. And given the guys that are hitting above him, I'm not sure they need much offensively from him, right? You could always stick Chris Taylor in the outfield. They've got, um, you know, they've got a couple of prospects too to to keep to keep your eye out on. Um, to be honest, that may beat out um, James Outman and Andy Pages are two guys that could be up very uh, very soon, if not one of them breaking camp with the team. Uh, and they could get a starting spot too. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And the last one to talk about here, also kind of in Los Angeles, but we're going to the Angels. Uh, seems like Taylor Ward could lead off, which I was super excited to hear for some of the best balls that I've done. And then I also got super disappointed because now I feel like I'm not going to be able to get him at the price that I was uh, prior to that. Because now the the narrative of hitting in front of Otani, Trout, and Rendon is quite alluring for his overall runs, maybe or his run scored, maybe he runs a little bit. And then at the same point, they envision Rendon being the cleanup hitter. With Rendon, it's health. Like he's going to have plenty of opportunities to drive runners in if he can be able to get his two feet into the batter's box more often than the past couple of seasons. Um, yeah. Which one are you more excited about, Ward leading off or Rendon hitting fourth from a fantasy perspective? So <clears throat> that's a very good question. I'm going to lean. And I know that I put Rendon in my sleeper article. Um, well, in my half of the sleeper article, because you and I split that. Um, and that was simply because, look, the guy, he's played basically the equivalent of a full season for the Angels over the last few years. And when you piece those stats together, it's a pretty good stat line. The question is, can he do a full season in one season and not take three years to do it? So for that regard, I'm going to, lean towards Taylor Ward leading off because he's going to get pitches to hit hitting in front of Trout when he's healthy and Otani and now they've got Hunter Renfro and I can't really count on Brandon Drury at this point like he had a very good year last year but like that's one year right um but yeah, I, I look Taylor Ward was like the talk of fantasy baseball for like a month last year. Um when he was just everything he hit turned to turn to gold. So I'm gonna lean towards Taylor Ward. I think there's a sneaky amount of skill there. He's got on base skills, so if you're in an on base league, um his value goes up a little bit more. He's got nice pop, some decent speed, and he's gonna be hitting a top what is if everybody stays healthy, a pretty sneaky good lineup for the Angels. Yep. And the nice I, mean, thing I don't know if we can call it sneaky good when they have Trout and Otani, but I mean, 
it's Outside good. Outside of Trout and Otani, yeah. it's actually a, a decently deep lineup if guys can stay healthy. And that's what makes it sneaky good. Because like you could remove Trout and Otani from the lineup. It's like, all right, they still got Ward. They got Rendon. They got Renfro. Uh, Drury, who I almost put, to a degree. I almost put Drury as a bust this year because there's no chance he does what he does last nope. year. That, those were all inflated by Great American Small Park. So, yep. you know. And the nice thing with Ward, too, I mean, last year, for his career, he still hits lefties better than righties. But last year, big improvements against right-handed pitching as a right-handed hitter. So just nice to know. Yeah. Hopefully, he can stay atop the order. By the way, on that note of park factors, it's not like the Angel Stadium is a pitcher haven. Mm -hmm. It's actually one of the best hitters parks in baseball. Maybe it offsets some of the regression. But but yes, I, I'm with you in general we should expect to see quite a bit of regression from Brendan Drury, but just so that everybody's clear, it's not like the worst hitter. You know, it's it's a pretty good hitter's park. Yeah, and I mean, like, he's not getting to 28 home runs again. I'm just, like, that's no. not going to happen. But, I mean, when you look, if you even if you just ignore his numbers from Cincy, right? The 46 games he was with San Diego. I mean, eight home runs in 46 games isn't bad. He hit 238. As good as he was with Cincinnati, I don't think he does that this season. Maybe what he did in San Diego, that pace with maybe a slight bump in batting average, maybe is kind of reasonable. Like a lot of projections have him like around 240 with 18 to 20 home runs. That seems pretty realistic, if I'm being honest. Yeah. I mean, if we go with a three year rolling average, on baseball savant for their park averages. Coors Field is number one. Great American Small Park is number two. Fenway is three. And Angel Stadium is four, tied with uh, Citizens Bank. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So I'm not sure if, if you've listened to the past episodes, we talked about this little thing called the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Draft Guide. It is completely free. F-R-E-E. -E, free, free, free. Just go to the... Uh, just go to the website, fantasyalarm.com, get your copy of the draft. I think you have, you have to, what, make an account? You just have yeah. to make an account, and then you get access to it for free. Um, yep, you just need a valid email to sign up for a free account for FA. You don't need to subscribe to anything to create an account. Just create one for free, and then you get all of the juicy goodness of the MLB draft guide. Uh, well, the articles and rankings and whatnot are free. The, I believe the preseason projections are still paid for, but... There's also uh, usually we're running specials for like six months free. Like I'll give you six months free right now. Actually, if you use promo code NASCAR, uh, you can get six months. It not free. Sorry, six months fifty percent off on your subscription using promo code NASCAR. Promo code NASCAR, and then of course you get access to that. But then of course everything in the draft guide. So a ton of content is pumping out. We're doing the positional spotlights. I believe it's Monday through Friday. There's positions each day. Content coming out about it we have all of the different articles for strategies if you like dfs once we start getting into mlb dfs season all of that will be there in the fantasy alarm fantasy baseball draft guide which is free uh matt in our discord we're starting to get some more questions coming in for baseball and um always like some of these questions that we're getting it's fun to see all the different league setups and different questions that can come about and one that actually came right before we jumped on here as someone who one is a former catcher uh, two, who's doing the catcher spotlight this season uh, here throughout the whole year at Fantasy Alarm. Catcher question came in the Discord. Uh, person has Varsho, Real Muto, and Adley Rushman. They can start 
one catcher, but they have two utility spots. So technically they can start all three catchers if they want to. It's a keep forever league with no penalty. The question here is, would you trade Real Muto for Robbie Ray? Six pitching spots, keeping Musgrove and uh, Urias, which I'm assuming is going to be Julio Urias. Um, well, he's talking that. pitching, so yeah. Yeah. Be, yeah. So, as opposed to Luis. Yeah, or any other Urias that could be kept that probably shouldn't be kept. So we're going to go with Julio there. So let's let's dive into this first. First off, what an embarrassment of riches at catcher. I like, mean, yeah. Those are three of my top four. Also, by the way, does Varsho count as an outfielder in his league? Because then the util spots don't matter. Um, I would assume that he would have catcher and outfield eligibility. I would assume so. I haven't seen a league where he doesn't. Yeah, so <laughs> really. But the thing with Varsho is you, I, you ideally want to start him at catcher. Because that's where his value is highest. But regardless, you know, you yeah. can still start him regardless. So here's the thing. Are we in agreement between Varsho Real Muto and Rushman that Real Muto is the one to trade? Yes. Now, for those of you who are immediately asking, why are you trading the top catcher in the league? Well, it's a keep for forever league with no penalties, right? So it's a dynasty league. So in this case, we're trading the guy who's older. Right, less shelf life on an older catcher than a younger catcher. So, Real Muto of those three is definitely the guy I'm trading. Uh, I am Varsho would probably be the second. I am not dealing Adley Rutschman. Correct. He came up halfway through last year and was immediately a top three catcher in mm -hmm. fantasy baseball. Yeah, and the thing too with Real Muto, like I like him. I really like Real Muto, but. Prior to last year, 13 stolen bases was his previous high, and then he just jumps to 21. Like, there's been no precedent set for a catcher getting older and having this kind of a jump in stolen bases. Yeah. Um, but re regardless, even if he drops to like 15 stolen bases, he's still also with valuable. the offensive additions the Phillies have made. I'm not sure he's running with Trey Turner on the base pass. Yeah. So, I mean, you got to, I'd say you got to bank a little, probably a little regression, maybe the 15 to 16 range, still incredibly valuable. But Rio Muto, I do believe, is, is the one to trade here. Now, what I don't necessarily like, I am not trading Rio Muto for Robbie Ray. No. Robbie Ray is the issue here. Yeah. Sorry. Robbie Ray is a very good starter for this year, but not in a keeper forever league. Yes, that that I don't trust him issue. past the next season, and I don't think you can. Yeah, like that's the that's the issue. So if we if we toil around here, just to kind of some other guys, some other starters that are maybe in the same boat as Robbie Ray. So let's look at NFBC ADP from. We'll just do our good old January first date that we seem to love here. So Robbie Ray, thirty eighth pitcher off the board. So some starters around him. You know, up a little bit. You got the likes of Framber, Tyler Glass now, Tristan McKenzie, George Kirby, Hunter Green, Luis Severino, Logan Gilbert, Logan Webb. Those are guys kind of all going around Robbie Ray. Robbie Ray is probably the one or or the second or first, even lowest that I'd probably want amongst that tier of players. At least I would say. I just I'm just out on Robbie Ray. Yeah, I get the, Framber, I've made that clear. You said Framber, and I immediately popped to Framber. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I you have to see if that person would be willing to do that because well, I mean, we Framber also don't know hype. who this, who else this person has to trade. We're just saying, like, if you're gonna put Real Muto on the trading block, you've certainly got to get somebody better than than Robbie Ray in return. Out of uh, Logan Gilbert intrigues me. 
about George Kirby? George Kirby intrigues me. Be fine Hunter with Green. that. I don't know what to make of Hunter Green, to be perfectly honest. I would do Hunter Green over Robbie Ray. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. that's that's the moral of the story. Anybody but Robbie Ray seems to be the moral here. I Maybe not anybody, take, but you know what I mean. I mean, you said Tristan McKenzie. Who else was in that? Would you take Robbie Ray over Luis Severino? See, it's in, like these these are interesting. Like the youth is going to get the bump. Like, yeah, is, the youth gets bump in this trade because it's keep forever with no penalty. So it's right. You get them forever. Right. I'd probably give the edge to Severino. Yeah, couple couple years of youth. Yeah. Um. Well, only a couple, but still plays. But yeah, in general, though, that's that's the the idea you can't trade your oldest piece and get a similarly old and arguably more rundown uh piece back yeah especially yeah. when we're talking about i know it's a one catcher league but you can't give up the best guy at that position and get back maybe uh, the third high end guy. yeah like a high end trading the one of the two elite difference makers at the position yes you still have the other one but you're trading one for what a high end SP three? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, well, if he's he's what the thirtieth off the board in NFBC? It does include relievers, but he's the thirty eighth right. pitcher, and I can see I've counted at least six relievers, if not seven, ahead of him. So maybe basically SP thirty. So in a fifteen team league, back end SP two. Right. Or in a twelve team league, you're talking mid SP three. Yeah. For catcher one or catcher like real muto just because of what he does with the bat and on the bases he's we're a not saying this is, second catcher yeah we're not saying this is the last year of real muto right no he's no got a few very good years left but i don't think the same can be said for robbie ray i would agree wholeheartedly with that and you're certainly not trading varsho in the new softball park that he's playing in in toronto or Rutschman, who's going to be the best catcher in baseball for like the next decade. And with um, the shift of schedule, like they're because they're playing more divisional games with the schedule. So we're just going to get more of Rutschman and Varsho, may I add, in Yankee Stadium, in Toronto's softball stadium. I know Baltimore adjusts their stuff a little bit. So that's a bit different. A little bit. But, they have the deepest left field in baseball. <laughs> yeah. So, like, but still, more games in that division won't hurt those hitters. Agreed. So, so it's a net positive. Yeah. So, yep, I'm in agreement. That's I would. A very interesting. It's a very interesting scenario because a you can keep all three because you can play all three. So if you don't get anything more appealing, keep Real Muto. Yep. There's nothing that's that's necessarily holding you back unless you're up against your keeper limit, which I don't know what the keeper limit is. It's a six pitching spots you've listed that you're keeping two pitchers. Yeah. And then there's the three catchers. So I don't know what the keeper limit is. If you have to trade one, if you have to, it's Real Muto. If you don't, then I'm keeping all three. Yep. And enjoy all of the statistical production. Yeah. Does it eat a util spot? Maybe. Maybe. Doesn't necessarily eat a util spot because, again, Varsho can play in the outfield. Yep. And yes, I know his value is, but here's the thing once he's on the roster, it doesn't matter what positional spot you're not getting a boost on your roster if a guy sits in a certain spot on your roster right he's just there for stats absolutely so last little bit here before we wrap up this episode I want to talk a little bit of auction draft strategy so in the draft guide there is the article i believe is written by ray coon and 
just kind of talking about auction strategies. So when you look at talking about you, an auction, as you know, you can build your team how you want. You are not beholden to your draft spot or the draft board. As uh, as Ray says, if you want Acuna, Tatis, and Vladdy Jr., go for it. Good luck with the rest of it, but you can have those three studs and have some fun with it. Um, talks about preparation, having a plan. It's a great article. I would recommend reading it. So what in auction drafts, what do you like to do? Like, do you do you go by the typical? Um, I believe it's like a 65-35 split between hitters and pitchers. I think is I think what Ray mentions in the article. Or do you kind of just go the board and chase value? Um, well, so let me preface this by saying my main auction league is different than basically everybody else's on the planet. Okay. Um, except for the 20 guys that are in my home league, right? Um we have about the same roster construction as most leagues. It's a two-catcher league. There's nine pitcher spots. could be starters, relievers, whatever. Um, we have innings minimums that we have to hit. Otherwise, you lose stats in pitching categories. That's to keep people from stacking relievers. Um, so for my league, the way I typically set it up is I'm going at minimum yeah, I mean, 65-35 is probably not bad, but usually I'm closer to 68-32, 70-30 because the other thing is we have keepers. So, like, I have – I typically wind up doing a very good job, not to toot my own horn, but I do a very good job of farming prospects in my league. And typically I have gotten – I've had success by getting uh, up-and-coming – Pitching prospects. Like right now, I have Daniel Espino and Taj Bradley in my prospects that I get to keep. So when they come up and they're on my roster, I get them for very, very cheap. And I have two basically ace caliber pitchers for very cheap. So that saves me money from having to, uh, you know, spend in the auction. But I would generally say I try to set it up about 68 32, maybe 70 30. Um, and then from there, I'm going to use the bulk of that pitching budget to go after a top nine starting pitcher i want a guy that's gonna that's gonna anchor my spot give me innings give me wins give me a very good era good whip and a lot of strikeouts right so we're talking about the garrett coles the scherzers the verlanders beavers you know uh of the world and then from there i have target goals that i want for categories so if a guy comes up, I will go after – I have certain guys that I try to go after every year because I, I like them quite a lot. Kyle Tucker, I don't think I'm letting anybody in my league know. He's, like, my favorite dude to go target because he's just a 30-30 guy waiting to happen. So I will go after a couple of big targets, and then after that, however the board falls with categories that I still need is where I go after. It's just a read the room strategy is what I go after, basically. It may change every year based on how the stats project, how averages project, um, who comes up when in the auction, because that's another thing, right? My league does it differently. We don't nominate players. We go through teams at a time, right? We pull a team name out of a hat, and then we read off the roster, pitchers first in alphabetical order, then catchers, infielders, outfielders. So we don't know which order the teams are coming up. But let's say the six crappiest rosters come up first. Well, now there's a lot of money left on the board and not a lot of dudes off the board. So that'll change draft strategies 
in, in my league. So it's basically a read the room strategy for me. And then in most leagues where you do the nominating players, yes. like I, I remember talking about this, like in fantasy football season, when you, you know, you nominate the player. And like when I was in the right. Kings classic drafts out in uh, Canton, you know, you nominate the player and throw it out there. An interesting strategy is, do you always nominate somebody that you don't want? Do you try to nominate somebody that you do want? Do that, you know, does do your league mates know you in that strategy? So for leagues that do nominate their players, do you have a default to where like, Typically, yes. what I like to do, I don't like to tip my hand, but early on in drafts, I will nominate players that I don't want at a particular right. position because I want the market established. So, I like, want for the example, money off the board. Correct. So, like in Canton this year for the Kings Classic, I didn't want Travis Kelsey. I wasn't going to pay out for him. I wanted Kyle Pitts, but I wanted to know how much Kelsey was going to go for. So right. that I could establish, all right, Kelsey goes for 30. I'm willing to go to 22 on pits. Like I want to know, I want to establish the market for that position. Is that something that you would recommend people doing? Yeah. Uh, I, I do that as well in, I play in a few, you know, I've played uh, in a few auction leagues that, you know, does the standard nominate the player $260 budget, all that good stuff. Um, and I do basically the same thing. Like, I'm not going to try to sneak a sleeper in that I want early in a draft because there's too much money on the board, and then they don't become a sleeper, and then you may lose them because you don't want to pay extra for a guy you were wanting to get late in the draft, right? So I am going to nominate guys that I don't – not that I – well, sometimes it's guys that I truly don't want at a position. Mm -hmm. Um some guy sometimes it's well if this doesn't go up because people are reticent then i'll take them and i'll get them at a discount right um but yeah i will start by trying to set the market on a position so i know where to work from from there and maybe i can sneak a guy in sneak a guy in late yeah and the other thing with the auction mentalities too is especially early on there are some instances where people are almost a bit reluctant to spend money yeah. So the other way to look at it too is you can set the market on a player or if you say hey in the beginning you know everybody here is slow starters for auctions maybe instead of nominating like a top guy you know looking at a list maybe you put the likes of uh you know at third base let's say you could put Bregman cuz he's just outside that kind of that second tier of the position people right. might not be willing to spend you might be able to save a couple bucks there so like there is definitely strategy to an auction draft that begins before you even talk about bidding on players we're talking about the who, the when, like there is, and you got to know your league mates with that, right? We talk about yes. that too, like know your league mates, like are people money hoarders because they want to save it for the studs? Can you get some cheap value early on? Like that's, you got to, you got to know your league and you got to know your league's rules and you got to know your league mates. That's really what it comes down to. And also do, do owners have favorite teams? Because yeah, I get screwed league, on that one. Why? I get screwed on that one. So in my home league, the Orioles go for a lot more than they should because half my league is so it's based on the I-95 New York Baltimore DC corridor, right? So a lot of the league is Baltimore fans. So you're never gonna sneak an Oriole past anybody in this league. It basically never happens. It could be the worst dude on any roster ever, and it's still an Oriole, and they're still gonna you're just not gonna sneak them past. So you can use that to your advantage right somebody really wants like let's say you have a yankees fan they really want aaron judge okay so you can use that to clear money off the table sooner rather than later 
because they're a Yankees fan. They have a lot of money to spend. They want this guy. You can bid him up cautiously so you don't wind up getting a guy that you may not want. So, yeah, all of those things can be, let's say you really don't care who you get as a catcher. Toss out the seventh best catcher early in a draft and get him for cheap because everybody's waiting for Real Muto or Varsho or Rutschman or Will Smith or, hell, even Wilson Contreras. Maybe. I don't know. But, like, if it doesn't matter to you who's playing catcher, toss out K-Bear Ruiz and get him for a buck. Yep. Because early on, no one's going to be like, oh, I don't want him for two. But once you already have nine catchers off the board, three teams still need catchers, K-Bear Ruiz at $2 becomes a lot more enticing. Right, because now he's the number one catcher on the board because he's like, he starts, let's say he starts as the 10th and now you got nine catchers off the board. Now he's the best one. Now people are going to pay up because it's the best remaining guy at the position. Well, it's all supply and demand, right? In yes. the beginning, there's a lot of supply, so the demand for K-Bear Ruiz is low. Once you get rid of right. the top nine guys, that demand for exactly. Ruiz becomes better. You ain't getting them for a buck anymore. Exactly. That's another trick with the auctions, by the way. If you can't figure out why guys in the middle of the draft are suddenly spiking, it's because of the best guys available at that position left, and then there's a fall-off. So it's always helpful to show up with rankings and have them broken out in tiers, and then cross them off as guys get bought, whether you bought them or not, just cross them off. And then you can monitor the tiers. And if a guy falls through the cracks, now you can target it. But if, you know, let's say there's six first basemen off the board and Anthony Rizzo's there, but now there's a drop off after him. Anthony Rizzo might go for more than the fourth or third first baseman because nobody wants the drop off guy. Yeah. And we see it. And then also building on that, we see it in snake drafts more often than not. Like, know whom else your team has taken. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're at the wheel, the two teams after you, or you're near the wheel, the two teams after you both have catchers. You don't have to take a catcher at that first part of the turn. You can do it on the back half, especially an auction. Know, know what your league has done. Like, yes, you want to know how much money they have and what their max bid is, especially for stars. But at the same point, you want to know whom they have. Like if, if you know you're going to get in a bidding war with somebody for Jose Ramirez, right? And you're looking at their team and just for some reason, Ramirez hasn't been nominated yet. They don't have any starting pitching. Throw out the best remaining starter, hoping that team spends a little bit more. Because once they've dropped 30, 35 on somebody, coming right back with Jose Ramirez and to drop another 30 or 35, like there are some owners when it comes to spending money that will get a bit cold feet after they drop a bunch of money on somebody. Cause it's like, you know, everybody loves to look at the max bid, right? Oh, I could do 140 some dollars on this player. After two picks, when that drops to like in the 60s, there's like a, Oh no, I don't really have a ton of money when really that's not the case. Right. So there's there's auction drafts or drafts within a draft and strategies within a strategy, and it begins well before the the first player is even acquired. It begins with the first nomination, and really it even begins before the draft because you're taking the past couple of years into account as well. Mm-hmm. So Check out check out Ray's article in the draft guide for more talk about auction. We talked about it a good bit here, but Ray does a great job breaking it down. So check that out again in the fantasy or fantasy baseball draft guide at fantasyalarm.com. Once again, it is free. Um, Matt, that'll put a bow on this episode. So any parting shots for you other than I'll tell everybody that they can find you on Twitter at the salesman. Nope. I mean, we got uh, some more MLB coverage. We got a mock draft coming out soon, a staff mock draft. The first one of the the uh spring training here um we'll have i think some player debates rolling out if i'm not mistaken um so just keep your eyes peeled on the ever-changing mlb draft guide obviously nascar contents flowing out this weekend again and uh 
Everybody go, don't don't fall for everything you see a beat writer tweet out. Yep, I think that is good. Get excited about the ones you want, but also don't overreact. Yep. It's the best piece of advice we can give. So, like I said, give Matt a follow on Twitter, at The Salesman. I'm on Twitter, at Colby R. Conway. Go to FantasyAlarm.com. Get your free, free, free copy of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Draft Guide. And then we will see you next week with the newest edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast.